Hello and welcome to episode number nine of the Waters Wavelength podcast. My name is Dan Francesco, and I am the deputy editor of Cellside Technology and I am joined by no one. I am riding solo on this one. Anthony Maliki, the U.S. editor of Waters Technology, is down in FIA Boca, so he's enjoying the warm weather and the sun, but because I'm committed to this podcast, I'm committed to our listeners, I will uh, continue to push on and I will do this in a solo effort. Uh, first, I'd like to wish everyone a happy St. Patrick's Day, although I have zero Irish blood in me. I am 100% Italian. I uh, support my brethren from the north. Ireland's a lovely country. I do enjoy the Dublin. I do enjoy the uh, the Guinness that I got to check out when I visited Dublin once in the uh, the Guinness factory. But I digress. Uh, so today, first, we're going to touch on cybersecurity, and it's almost fitting that Anthony isn't here because I think he's grown a bit stale on cybersecurity, to say the least. Uh, and I, I don't blame him because I, I'll, well, I'll get into it. But first of all, to give you kind of a recap, uh, the past two days, our uh, sister publication, Oprisk, uh, held Oprisk North America. Great event, ton of great people there, ton of great panels. Uh, specific to us uh, was Cyber Risk North America. I, I attended two panels uh, yesterday on Wednesday. Um, one about the role of uh, the CISO in the ERM framework, which was a panel, and then a presentation uh, quantifying the business impact of IT events or glitches. And that was by Richard Van Horn of J.P. Morgan Chase. Both were great, uh, a lot of great information. Overall, the, the entire uh, conference, both days, was fantastic. But I can speak to those two specific panels that were uh, very informative. So to get back to cybersecurity, so the reason why I think it's kind of fitting that we're doing it today without Anthony is because, you know, so April 2015, so just about a year ago, a little less than a year ago, we did an entire issue on cybersecurity. It seemed to really be really a, a big topic, a big focus of contention. A few months before that, Anthony had done a profile on a CISO, a Waters profile on a CISO. Um, the name is escaping me right now. I'll put the, the link in. But uh, that, was, that was very good, very interesting, kind of just about CISOs and their roles within financial firms organizations. So we decided to do an entire issue devoted on cybersecurity, and it was I think it was very well done. I think we we was pretty informative. There were a lot of great features. I could throw I'll put all the features in the blog. Uh, a lot of reading for you guys today. Um, I'll put all the features in the blog. But to uh, you know, so we do that, and then it's kind of like when you when you kind of beat a topic to death, you kind of get sick of it, and. So we kind of took a step back and we're like, unless there's something really big in the space, we're going to kind of take a step back. And I think that's been the biggest thing is that the biggest thing with cybersecurity is, in my opinion, and maybe I'm wrong, and please tell me if I'm wrong because I'm no complete expert in this field, is that I think the biggest thing is awareness, is understanding kind of where your crown jewels are, how to protect them, uh, understanding you know how to go about if an attack does happen, having the proper plans in place. But other than that, I mean, that's kind of the basics of it. So I think that's why we kind of get a little burnt out covering cybersecurity because it's the same thing. Like it's to give you an example, if I had a dollar every time I heard someone when talking about cybersecurity say, well, the first thing you need to understand is that you will get attacked. Well, yeah, no kidding. When I was 
a freshman in college, right? I got a email notifying me that because I used my debit card at, I think it was a Hannaford's, uh, or maybe it was like a Home Depot, my data had been stolen and, uh, and I got a call. I remember I was sitting in my dorm room that, Hey, uh, Mr. DeFrancesco, did you spend a thousand dollars, uh, on a, at a boating store in Florida? No, no. Uh, actually, as as it just go happens, I didn't. Um, I'm up in Plattsburgh where it's minus 50 degrees. No, I'm not going boating in Miami. So, and I think everyone, you know, can kind of tell at least one story of either where their their data was breached. They're they're confident, you know, either their account was hacked and actual money was taken out, which was the case with me, and it all, you know, it was very quickly taken care of and everything's fine, or they, you know, were, their batch of information was part of a batch of information that was stolen from someone. I think we've all been a part of that. Um, You know, you, you randomly get the new credit card in the mail, and you're like, what's this? And, you know, it turns out, oh, well, because you used your credit card at such and such a place, and that place was hacked, this is what you need to do. So, I think we're all familiar with those situations, and what we tend to see a lot of times in the cybersecurity space is people kind of reiterating the same things. The amount of times Target gets brought up, and I understand it's a big case. I understand it's it's kind of interesting because it you know Target was up on compliance. They were essentially fine by the book, but it was a vendor that they were dealing with that was hacked and then kind of went through that way. And that's an interesting take, and it's it's good that firms are aware of that. But we kind of go over the same type of things over and over again. So. Why I enjoyed uh, Cyber Risk North America was because we kind of touched on a couple different things that I wasn't as familiar with. So the first panel had people from GE Capital, Palo Alto Networks, Lazard, and Barclays. So a kind of good range, buy side, sell side vendors and users. Uh, and what the a big part of the discussion was around frameworks. And I wrote a whole story on that. I'll put the link in there. You guys can check out. But I think it was very interesting. So one thing that stood out to me was James Beeson, who is the CISO and IT leader for GE Capital, basically just said the most important thing about when it comes to framework and cybersecurity and implementing the right frameworks, picking one. He flat out said it. He said, when we first started, we tried to put, we tried to create our own framework. And he said this, he goes, you know, cause we're GE, you know, kind of joking around. He said, and it failed. He was, he, he was, you know, he was pretty blatant. He was open about it. He said it, it failed. And, um, instead of kind of saying, Oh, what are we going to do? You know, then they, then they tried a, he called it kind of a Frankenstein type framework where you're kind of trying to pick the best parts. And he said, that didn't work. He said, what it ended up being was you have to pick one framework and you have to just run with it. And he said, at the end of the day, they're all very similar, but it's about finding the one that's the right kind of fit for your, for your firm. And, and going with it. And I think that's a really interesting piece because I think a lot of times, I think firms try to outthink themselves. You know, they think they're the smartest guy in the room. And sometimes it's as simple as just sticking to stick, picking a path and, and sticking to it. Another interesting topic that was brought up was by uh, Alina Kov- Kovachko. I'm, I'm just butchering the last name and I do apologize, but she was fantastic. She's from Barclays. She's the head of global information security strategy and implementation. And she spoke about how something that needs to kind of be decided is a, we need a benchmark for cyber threats and for kind of putting a dollar value on this. You know, so often we hear of the kind of the high, medium, low, and you know, you can only put so much, you know, salt into that because at the end of the day, high, medium, low, that's so, you know, we're so, we drill down in so many different things in the financial markets. Why it's kind of, 
cyber hasn't gotten up to that is kind of beyond me. But she talked about how, especially which a point that I never thought of, it'd be good for the insurance companies uh, because you know then it's kind of you put an actual dollar value on what the threats are, what you're spending, and kind of the premiums for firms trying to get insurance on cybersecurity can be a little bit better. So that's an area that needs to be fixed. So I found that very interesting, and then. On the other end, and I haven't written about this yet, but the uh, the the discussion by Richard Van Horn of J.P. Morgan Chase quantifying the business impact of IT events or glitches that was very good. Uh, I haven't written about that yet. I'll probably put something up next week. Kind of around, kind of putting almost a, not a dollar venue value necessarily, but a value on what a glitch is, and understanding that uh, you know a loss of data in one sector is completely different and affects different things than a loss of data in another sector. Um, it's very interesting stuff. So I, I think overall it was it was a great conference. I'm glad I attended. Like I said, it was sister publication of Operas North America. If you have a subscription to them, if you'd like to maybe get one because of the great stuff, definitely worth checking out some of the stuff that was written up on that. Um, and like I said, the biggest thing for me is, and I wrote about this earlier in the year when I kind of did my uh, New Year's resolutions, is I want to see something different when it comes to cybersecurity. So I don't want to hear, you know, firewalls are going to be firewalls. Those type of protocols are going to be the same thing. But I want to see, you know, I want someone to come out and talk to me about what are some serious work they're doing with human uh, interaction. You know, we always hear about phishing attacks, how phishing attacks are the easiest way hackers can get into, you know, sending sending an email to so-and-so saying, hey, by the way, school was canceled or pretending to be a lawyer and say, hey, can you sign this document? And they open up and boom, that's it. You know, the hacker's in because the person never thought, why would a hacker go through my school district to try to get to me to tell me that my kid has a two-hour delay today? Uh Understanding how to better train humans, which I understand is a difficult thing to do, but I think that would be very interesting. And maybe there's not as much of a tech aspect to that, but I think that's the key is kind of training training humans to not, to put it bluntly, to not be so dumb to fall for these for these phishing attacks. Um, I think that'd be an interesting kind of piece to, to go forward with, with cybersecurity. Switching gears a little bit, uh, Deutsche Börse and LSE, the, they both, both of them reached an agreement on a merger. Um, I believe that the title was a merger of equals because uh, essentially it is going to be you know, fairly equal. Deutsche Börse shareholders will get 54.4% of the combined entity. LSE shareholders will get the remaining 456 Uh We've talked about this before on the podcast. Uh, the sources that I spoke to when this deal was initially talked about said that this was going to be a while. There was going to be a lot of red tape, especially because of all of the... Uh, you know, the underlying pieces of both these massive exchanges. But lo and behold, here we are. And I think it's less than a month later since the initial talk started. And, you know, we ha- they've reached a deal agreement. Now, n- nothing's official, obviously, everything kind of, but it's kind of amazing how quickly they got through things. You kind of saw that things were going to move quickly when, um, you know, News first broke that Deutsche Börse was going to sell uh, ISE to NASDAQ for $1.1 billion. That's kind of the first indication that, okay, they're not really messing around. And then talk started coming out about how the leadership would shake out if the merger came down. So I think it'll be interesting now going forward to see what happens. You know, the biggest thing that stood out to me was 
right in the release, they said that the two firms estimate the deal will lead to a cost savings of nearly $500 million per year via, and this is a quote, technology-enabled efficiencies, removing duplication in the corporate center, and big business segment optimization. So one thing we talked about was that the two big platforms, Millennium IT for LSE and Seven Market, te- Seven Market Technology for Deutsche Börse, you know, what's going to happen with those is they're going to, so it seems like some they're, they're going to cut ties with some stuff because if they're going to save $500 million via technology enabled efficiencies, removing duplication in the corporate center, I mean, that outright says that they're not going to have a couple of the same things. So that would be, that'll be interesting to see if there's a spinoff, if they sell it, if it's just scrapped completely, if one gets merged into the other. Um, you know, I haven't, I've dealt with Millennium IT a little bit more than seven market technology. I spoke to them for a story about bigger exchanges selling their technology to emerging exchanges and Millennium IT is a big player in that industry selling a lot of their platforms. So it'll be interesting to see to see where we go from here. I, there's still, there still is a long way, but the fact that they were so quickly able to come to an agreement, I think is the step in the right direction. And then the bigger piece, and I haven't been able to speak to anyone about this yet, is what's this going to mean for the larger, you know, because one thing that I think is clear is if this is the case, then now the next step is to make a push into the U.S. So it's going to be interesting to see how to see how everything shakes out. I keep saying that I know it, it's awful, but I mean that's I think this is just it's it's too early to have any. I don't at least have any initial idea of what exactly is going to go down, but I think that it's a definitely a big move for the entire space, not just for the EU, but for the entire uh, economy. Um, other than that, uh, you know, expect a lot of great stuff from Anthony about Boca coming up. Uh, you know, I know he had a ton of meetings down there. Um, like I said, I'll put up that piece on the, uh, on, on Richard Van Horn's, uh, you know, uh, presentation about quantifying the business impact of IT events or glitches. Uh, I think that's about it from my end. Like I said, solo show. So I don't want to go too long. I don't want to hear, I don't want you guys to hear me drone on too much. I would be remiss without mentioning the NCAA tournament. Today is Thursday, which is probably, I think this might be the best weekend for sports ever. Uh, I'm more of a football guy than anything else. I love Super Bowl Sunday. I especially love the, uh, I love the weekend that we get, that we have the holiday. I don't know off the top of my head if it's President's Day or Martin Luther King Day, but uh, it's the three-day weekend we get where there's football games kind of throughout and you get to kind of watch the games on Sunday knowing that you have off Monday. But this weekend with, you know, you have games Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday is just so incredible. It's just you know I you lo- you have to love the upsets you got everybody's got a pool going everybody's in different types of things uh, a lot of gambling going on um, a lot of you know friendly wagers a lot of not so friendly wagers um, I just love it I love that everybody buys into the bracket I love that even if you know nothing about college basketball you still fill out a bracket just because it's it's what you do um, real quick I'm not gonna go through my entire bracket my final four right now as it stands. It's a it's 10:37 a.m. on Thursday, so probably not going to change. As it stands right now, coming out of the South, I have Kansas. Coming out of the West, I have Oklahoma. Coming out of the East, I have Kentucky. Coming out of the Midwest, I have Michigan State. I then have Oklahoma and Michigan State advancing, and I have Michigan State as the national champ. Uh, with these type of things, you obviously never want to go all ones, and uh, the big teams. So the big three that everyone is picking. 
everyone are picking are uh, Kansas out of the the South, um, uh, UNC out of the East, and Michigan State out of the Midwest. So knowing that, I knew that I didn't want to have all those three because the biggest thing, the biggest mistake you can make in a pool is picking exactly going with the mass consensus. I'm not one to say you should pick a 13 seed to win the whole thing, but also you have to understand that if you pick the same picks that everyone else is going to pick, then you really need to kill it in the early rounds. and You really need to get all those upsets, or it's not going to matter if you have your four Final Four teams if everybody else also has the four Final Four teams. So Oklahoma, that whole side of the bracket, Oregon's the one, but everyone says it's the weakest one that's been around for a while. Uh, it's kind of... It's it's kind of wide open. I know. I mean, Duke is you know whatever. Um, I, I I don't know. I just like Oklahoma. I I like uh, they have a kid Isaiah Cousins that played at Mount Vernon. I used to cover Mount Vernon for for us for the Journal News Section One guy. They also have uh, Buddy Heald, who you know seems like just really you know everybody loves him. He's a great player. So I have I have them advancing Kansas. Like I said, they're a favorite. They've been playing awesome. They're Kansas. You know, why not? In the East, uh, UNC, I don't know. I just, everyone's picking them. I figured I'd pick against them. Uh, Kentucky, at the end of the day, they have so much talent, and Cal's been there so many times before. So I figured I'd push them ahead. Thought about going with Notre Dame. I know a lot of people like West Virginia, but, eh, not for me. Uh, And then in the Midwest, I think everyone has kind of said this, but Michigan State just seems like the clear favorite. It seems like they're really going to be motivated by getting that two seed not you know kind of getting feeling like they're disrespected not getting the one seed so i have them in there as well so that's that's like i said that's my pick michigan state to win it all michigan state oklahoma in the in the final and then the also other two uh kansas and kentucky so we'll see how it goes uh other than that quick uh upset I was on them early and now it seems like everybody's jumped on them but iona the 13 seed going against iowa state they're playing uh today at two I I just really like him. I th- I really like AJ English. I like all those guys. Tim Clues, solid guy. Um, fun team to watch. They get up and down. You know, they could have really been in a tough matchup if they went up against anybody with you know a lot of big men. But Iowa State seems like a really good matchup with them that they can kind of run and gun with them and get up the floor, which is how Iona loves to play. So seems like it's really going to be a track meet. Um, and yeah, I have Iona with the upset. Other than that, uh. I don't know. I like maybe Seton Hall making a little bit of a run. Isaiah Whitehead, the kid from Brooklyn. So we'll see. But that's as far as uh, my analogy, my analysis will go on the brackets. Hopefully everyone does well with theirs, and I'll you know give you some feedback next Thursday when mine's gone to hell. Uh, other than that, we are still looking. Uh, if you are interested in writing for us, we still have an open position in the New York office for a junior reporter. Uh, I'll put some the contact details below, but uh, you know. If you have a background in journalism or you have a background in finance, you know, or just one or the other or both, uh, definitely reach out to us and we'd love to sit down and have a chat. Um, also, we are about less than we are a little over a month away from the uh, sell side uh, technologies from the North American Trading Architecture Summit. That's going to be April 21st at the Marriott Marquis in New York. Uh, following that event is the uh, sell side technology awards. So it's a great event. Definitely get in, register, check out all the panels we have. A lot of great speakers. I think that's about it. We're about 20 minutes. I'm impressed that I could talk on by myself for 20 minutes. Uh, Tony will be back next week. We could talk a little all about Boca and the great stuff he learned down there. But that's it for me. Enjoy St. Patrick's Day. Enjoy the tournament. Have fun. 
I wish your brackets the best, and we will talk next Thursday. Have a good one. Music.